Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, ladies, and happy Tuesday. If you are a Canadian listener, then welcome back after your three-day long weekend, your Labor Day weekend. I really hope you took some time off to really decompress and rest and relax and rejuvenate, and nothing is like getting back to work on a short week. Am I right? So I'm really excited to dive into our episode today. My guest today is Maddie Lansdowne, and we connected, I think it was last year, we were both interviewed for the I Quit Sugar Summit, and our girlfriend, my girlfriend Danny connected us, and then it was great because I was on his podcast not too long ago and invited him here today, and it's just a really great conversation that we have today about diets, why most of them don't work. We talk about inflammation. We talk about intermittent fasting and water fasting. We talk about sustainable weight loss, and Maddie really dives into kind of like the agricultural history and economical history of like why our food system is the way that it is. And it's a really fascinating way to look at it and just to really understand as well and like just really diving into that history. He is a really great guest. And one of the reasons why you may really enjoy listening to this is because he's from Australia and he has an amazing accent. And I don't know about you, but I just love listening to Australian accents. So um, I really hope that you do enjoy our episode today. Before we dive in, I want to chat real briefly about the delicious organic superfood bites from Eaton Hemp. They are an amazing sponsor of this podcast and I love their products so, so much. They've just launched these amazing little snack bites and they've got peanut buttery chip, they have cranberry bliss, tropical daydream, chocolate verve, and they are really good. They are organic, raw, no added sugars, they're non-GMO, gluten-free, there's eight grams of fiber per bag, no artificial flavors, 24 grams of protein per bag, they are packed with superfoods, and they are also vegan. So they would make a really great back-to-school snack if you are looking for something delicious to give your kids. I highly recommend it. And you can save 20% off the Eaton Hemp website. Just head on over to eatonhemp.com. Use the coupon code Healthy hormones at checkout and you will save 20%. You guys know I rave about their CBD oil. I use it every night before bed and I really do love their extra strength full spectrum. So you can definitely give that a try. And I actually have a girlfriend that uses their salve and I have not tried it yet, but she raves about it. So that is definitely going to have to go on my next order to give that a try. It is a full spectrum CBD infused super salve and you can use it basically from head to toe. So I would use it for PMS cramps, FYI, and that time of the month. So leading up to your cycle, if you feel you need a little extra support, you can combine that solve and take a little bit of magnesium and that will probably be really helpful for PMS cramps. So again, I haven't tried it myself, but my girlfriend Lauren, who you heard on last week's podcast when we did our 73 questions, I got so much feedback and you guys love that one and I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad you tuned 
tuned in and listened to it and got to know a little bit more about me. But Lauren, who was on that episode last week, she tried the salve and she absolutely loves it. So Again, head on over to eatonhemp.com and use the coupon code HEALTHYHORMONES for 20% off. And also real quick, next week, starting September 13th to the 17th for five days straight, I am teaching my legendary lead generation training. So if you're not yet a member inside my Holistic Business Collective Facebook group, come join us. And if you are a health coach, a practitioner, a nutritionist, if you work in the wellness space, if you're even a life coach and you're looking to start your online business and create online group coaching programs and work with clients one-on-one and you feel stuck with how to get clients and how to structure your programs and growing your social media and really generating leads and getting those leads in your business, I am literally pulling back the curtain and diving into all of the things. It's a really amazing training. I've done it numerous times and each day is really full packed with so much information. By the end of the five days, you're truly going to come away with a really clear plan for your business and the next important steps that you really need to take. And we also do a day that's on tech because we get so many questions around tech and do you need a website and you know what does landing pages mean and lead magnets and like what is all this stuff and how do you create it and what are the platforms that you really need and you know where those investments need to go into your business when you're just starting out. So we definitely dive into that too. So it's really jam-packed and I'll be live inside the Holistic Business Collective Facebook group every day from the 13th to the 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So come join me there. We also have a workbook available for you as well that you can work through too. And we put you know so much energy into it because I really want to get you guys some wins. I love seeing other women entrepreneurs like thriving and I'm really here to support you because of course I've been through the process and I truly know what it's like and the challenges that can arise with growing your business. All right, so switching gears. Let me give you the lowdown on my guest today, Maddie Lansdowne. He is a scientist, functional nutritionist, and health coach that specializes in weight loss and self-confidence for professional women and busy mothers. Starting out in the field of nutritional epigenetics and spending many years working in hospitals as part of a disease research team, Maddie developed the core belief that the vast majority of disease and illness is not due to bad luck or genetic predisposition, but as a result of poor nutrition and lifestyle choices that for most people lead to weight gain and low self-worth. After working with hundreds of clients and speaking to thousands of people at retreats, conferences, and summits, Maddie uncovered the real challenge people have when it comes to being healthy, which isn't about calories or kale, but in fact, mindset and behavior change. Maddie hosts a weekly podcast called How to Not Get Sick and Die, where he delivers free weekly insights in relation to current developments in the world of health, nutrition, and human optimization, offering the latest advice on how your diet and lifestyle can directly affect your energy, focus, self-confidence, and overall well-being. Let's dive into our episode. Enjoy. Hi, Maddie. Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. Hey, Sam. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited we connected because you are just an amazing soul and our friend Danny connected us and you interviewed me on your podcast and I've got you here and it's just really great. So I'm so excited to welcome another friend to the podcast and into the healthy hormone world. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Yeah. yeah, I loved the show that we did together on my show. So 
thanks for your time and energy and wisdom. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So before we dive in today, share with our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Sure. My name is Maddie and I grew up in the country with my mum as a nurse and spent a lot of time at the hospital instead of daycare. And that was sort of my real introduction to looking after people at a very, very young age. And so I had this really positive association with healthcare and like, cause I loved it. And I was this little kid that was running around and getting so much attention and, you know, with mum as a nurse. And then I sort of grew up and moved to the city and I became a cancer research scientist, which is what I did for the last eight-ish years, basically. And it was through that journey and somewhere in there too, I had an honors degree in nutritional epigenetics and worked with athletes and stuff like that too. And when I moved into the chronic disease setting, it didn't take me long to realize that nobody talked about the cause of disease. And I was really just genuinely confused. I went into the cancer hospital with without an ego. I wasn't looking to be the guy that cured cancer. I wasn't looking to be the guy that wanted a big career and, you know, was just right. like, this was the next job was my psychology. And I think that allowed me to look at things in a more honest way, which was just like, why aren't we talking about the cause? Like the World Health Organization website, although we could probably debate about their legitimacy right now, but in the <laughs> cancer in the cancer area, they have had on their website for many years that in the first sentence of their cancer page, that the top three contributors to causes for cancer are diet, lifestyle, and smoking. And I was like, if diet and lifestyle are recognized by yeah. the, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, right. why is nobody in this hospital trained in that, talking to anybody about that? And you could argue that hospitals have dietitians. However, they have a very tiny role in a cancer patient's journey. And that, that role is usually just calories. It's like chemotherapy and radiation right. is such a devastating therapy that all we, the body needs is energy. So often the instruction is eat what you like, order fast food because calorie volume is the most important thing. So that, that was the journey that I went on to come out the other side as a nutritionist and realize that if that's the cause, we should probably do something about that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And not in a hospital setting because they're so restricted by the guidelines and the, the food pyramid, although it's not a pyramid anymore. It's, you know, it basically, it's a plate now, but right. still the refined carbohydrate section is the biggest. So that, that's the journey that I went on. And so now, yeah, I work with mainly busy mothers, but mostly women to basically get their health back because I realized as well, walking in and out of clinic at the hospital every day, that everyone was always basically morbidly obese. And so right. I, one day I just, I'd read all the research that obesity was the biggest precursor to all disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, cancer, you know, insert disease of civilization and privilege. And so one day I just got my phone out, did my own little study. I walked into every ward of the hospital. It took me about two hours and I just tallied up all the patients that I saw in beds and stuff that was, were overweight. And I was about 86%. And so I was like, okay, this wow. is, I'm seeing this for myself. So as a nutritionist, I sort of left there and I was like, let's go to the cause. The cause is obesity. And then I was like, okay, what's the cause of that? Poor food choices. What's the cause of that? Poor education. And what's the cause of that? Poor belief systems about my self-worth. And so we peel the onion and we go deeper and deeper and deeper. And so fundamentally, what I do now is help people respect themselves in a way that allows sustainable long-term change. I love that. That was so beautifully said. What made you decide to go down the cancer route in the first place? 
Well, I, literally, I got made redundant from a job that I was in due to the fact that our prime minister stopped refugee boats coming over. So I, I was in forensics, actually, and wow. our prime minister stopped the boats. And the company I worked for did refugee genetic testing to make sure that everybody coming over was said who they were, like right. was actually true. And so I literally just applied for a job and I was like, oh, I'm not going to get this cancer job. It says that I need, you know, a background in hematology. And so I just you know, I'm a bit more extroverted than most scientists. So I just went in there and just, just turned it on. <laughs> Turn on your charm. I love it. That's amazing. So, so that's how I ended up there. Yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. I love that. So the common thread was obesity, mm-hmm. belief system, obviously inflammation is going to play a really big role totally. here, diet, you know, all of the things. So I'd love to unpack some of this and, you know, let's talk about why the rates of obesity and disease are so high in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess there's a lot of ways to look at it. You know, there's the kind of the big farmer and big agriculture culture are evil companies that want us to all be fat, sick and nearly dead. And, you know, maybe that's true, but I don't think that's particularly fulfilling. I like to look at it more from a historical sense. And so if we go back all the way to World War II, After World War II, there was many countries in the world that were extremely impoverished and governments of the world needed to rebuild the new world, basically. And so they essentially built all of these farms everywhere and all of these used all of these fast growing crops, which happened to be these carbohydrates, your corn, your wheat, that type of thing. And so I like to think of it in as a reaction to post world war two, you know, malnutrition of the globe. And so we ended up in this situation where all of this fast growing crop was um, produced and pesticides took a big step in their advancement in this time as well, because we needed to grow these crops faster and faster to feed the nations so that we could rebuild our armies in case it was about to happen again. And so as a response to that, you know, move forward 10, 20 years, we've got all of these thriving farms and these thriving food industries that now hold up a significant portion of the globe's economies. And so we're in this situation where this is the number one food that's recommended. And to all of a sudden change that around means the destabilization of the world's economies. And in the process, we obviously move towards where we are now in the last 20 or 30 years, where the consequences of eating this type of food for 70 years are now starting to show up in the pharmaceutical industry. So now we've got a situation where big agriculture and big food are profiting heavily and and employ millions of people in every country. And now big farmers also benefiting and employ millions of people in every country. So you can't just like if you look at it from a macroeconomic standpoint, you can't right. just change the health advice, right? For sure. Which I would love them to, don't get me wrong. Of I'm not course. defending, defending yep. these foods. Yeah. But yeah, so logistically, it's really hard to switch that narrative. So I guess we know that now. We know the consequence of these types of foods and things are starting to change, but it'll never be an overnight process because millions of people will be without jobs. You know, people won't be paying tax. All sorts of things will happen. The health industry will have to find a significant source of income somewhere else because obesity leads to you know chronic disease which holds up you know modern medicine basically so that's the way that i kind of learned about it and understand it in a way that makes me not hate big businessmen of the world (laughs) because yeah like i know there's strategy behind everything but yeah so that leads to why the education bodies teach 
these types of foods and why our governments recommend these types of foods. For sure. It's all economic. And in a response to a world war all the way back then, makes total sense. Right. Makes total sense. Get food into everybody. You know, we want want healthy children. We want to repopulate our devastated, you know, countries, economies. Of course. So that makes sense. But now we're in a situation where everybody is obese and everybody does have hormone dysregulation. And if we add into that dopamine addiction as a result of modern technology and mm. and like we're just chasing our tails in every possible way. And, and along the way as well, we kind of lost the idea that we are actually animals. Like we are still animals of nature. You know, the fact that we're inside all the time is unnatural. Totally. All of the toxins that exist in our house that we breathe in from the paint on the walls to the cleaning products, to the yeah. things that smell nice that we're trying to make our place smell fresher right. using we're just so so far past our animalistic reality that we're in this situation of obesity whether it's caused by toxins food choices and and then i guess as well to go sort of where we framed it from the beginning is that we're in this world where there's so much marketing and sexualized marketing where everybody feels like they're not enough and a lot of people have childhood trauma which left them with a belief of i'm not considered i'm not enough i'm not worthy right. of love and so we use sugar and carbohydrates often as a coping mechanism. And that's not to say, again, that I don't think these foods are all bad. I think carbohydrates are super important, especially in the context of female hormones and right. menstrual cycle. Absolutely. Um, there's so many micronutrients in there. But I think this sort of understanding this narrative over the last 70 or 80 years really sort of helps everybody understand why we're in this situation. Wow. That was a lot to unpack. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for breaking it down that way. Cause I feel like it's so easy to point the finger as to why it is the way that it is, but having yeah. that like background and the history of it, 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 you know, like you said, it really does make sense. I totally understand that. Yeah. So let's talk about these processed foods, the corn, the wheat mm. and the, the harm that is actually causing to our health. Totally. So I guess because when we're animals of nature, we, Obviously, our genome has been developing for millions of years through all of the different evolutions of who we were before and being Neanderthals and monkeys and all of those things. Right. So we have this history in our DNA that is familiar with the consumption of different types of food from nature. And depending on your heritage and your genetic background, you will have you know, predispositions to liking some food or not liking some food or some food being used really well in your body. And I know that from Instagram that you're really into measuring your insulin at the minute, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm tracking yeah. my glucose like every few hours. Yeah. It's interesting. Totally. And we, and we know now that like the same food for five different people can cause, you know, five different insulin responses. Some can have barely none. Some can have a massive amount. And so this is based on the history of your genes and how they react to certain foods. And so now that in the last hundred years, so evolution takes thousands of years. And I think people mix up social evolution with actual biological evolution because biological evolution takes thousands of years. But in just the last 100, we have taken maybe a thousand steps in social evolution of the way we consume food. Right. The types of food that we eat, the way that we, you know, find things palatable. And so we've taken such a giant leap that we've hijacked these dopamine centers of our brain in a way that we think we're in control of, but we're really all addicts because we didn't evolve with this to be able to regulate that response. And so when it comes to the refined grains that are all over the world, mm -hmm. by the time they go through all of their processing and most of the nutrition is removed, plus they're grown in such an uh 
unnaturally sterile environment that they lack ge- their own genetic diversity because a lot of these seeds are genetically engineered. And it's to the point that if you are a Monsanto farmer, they come and test your soil. And if there's a certain amount of percentage of genetic variants in the soil, they will stop giving you seeds. Like you get fined millions of dollars. It is like, so wild. It's crazy. That is like, so crazy. Yeah, it really is. And so the catch to that biologically for us and in our guts is that the lack of diversity, like we talk about monocropping agriculture, it ends up, you know, in many ways translating to our guts because we have this lack of diversity. And if we're always eating, you know, breads and pancakes and corn-based products and all of these things that are kind of in the same area of that, of food and in the same food category, we've got our microbiomes, which, you know, when healthy should have 500 to several thousand different species in them. And we end up creating a monoculture in our gut, which gets smaller and smaller of these bacterial species that help our digestion. And so, I find a lot of people too, when they first sort of land on my Instagram page or knock on the door or join my program, is that actually healthy food causes them bloating and causes them constipation and causes them to inflame. And that's because these refined grains that we've been consuming for so many years are so single in their diversity or you know they they lack such diversity that most people's guts as a result, it's kind of like their own monocrops in their own stomachs. And so- As well, the fact that these, um, we talked about insulin just before, but like they're so refined that we have an unnatural response, insulin response to something that would not otherwise produce a response that high because it's missing like the fiber and a lot of the nutrients that are meant to surround that particular sugar molecule. So we end up, and, and a lot of people that like, I eat pretty healthy. And if you read the labels in the supermarket or the marketing, not the science advice, the right. marketing, yes, things that everything seems to be natural and organic, totally. you know, all of it. And like, oh no, I eat that or I drink up and goes or, you know, they're really good for you, aren't they? But again, they're unnaturally presented to us and presented to our digestive system, skyrocket our insulin. Mm-hmm. And the thing is carbs and sugars aren't bad inherently, But one of the problems we've done with this social evolution over the last hundred years is we've attached to that insulin spike emotions and beliefs about our personality. And so often when we go on that insulin spike, it triggers memories, it triggers thoughts about ourselves. Totally. It triggers, for many people, a surrender state, which is like, I'll start tomorrow. This is too hard, right? So yeah, I think grains and corn and all those types of things are a part of this problem that we spike our insulin so early in the morning, which then triggers all of these thoughts and beliefs. And then we just repeat. And then Mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. get into a situation where we are the sum of our life's habits, right? Totally. We just keep repeating this nasty cycle and it's really hard to break. And it's also a stress response. So it's so soothing to the body too, to eat the corn and eat the wheat and eat the carbohydrates. Like, yeah, it's a really hard cycle to, to break out of. It's been so fascinating tracking my glucose yeah. levels. Yeah. It's been really What's fascinating. What's your biggest takeaway? So, well, it's interesting. There's lots of takeaways. Comparing <laughs> myself to my husband. Well, I can't compare myself to him. He's a male. He has lots of muscle mass. How yeah. he uptakes glucose is totally different than a cycling woman. Right. So, yeah, totally. you know, that's, that's the key distinction I have to keep reminding myself because <laughs> his blood sugar stays stable and low 
no matter what he eats or no matter what he does, it's like barely any variability. And I'm just like, what? And yeah, so it's so wild. And then with myself, it's great to see how like, obviously you're going to have a natural response. Like your insulin's going to go up. You're, you're going to have that glucose response, right? Yep. Sorry, not necessarily insulin, but like glucose specifically is going to go yes. up when you eat a meal. Like that's a natural course, reaction. Yeah. It's just how much is it going up? How yep. long is it staying up? And then to mm -hmm. bring it back down into a healthy range, how long does that take? Right. So yeah. a lot of people are having spikes that are, you know, jumping from maybe like a five to like a seven or an eight, which is mm -hmm. significantly high. And that's a really big yeah. jump. Whereas yeah. mine is jumping from maybe 0.5 and it's mm -hmm. staying there for roughly an hour, but within the two to three hours, if not less, it has come down. So it's a very gradual spike that I'm getting, which is normal, but then I'm also right. getting this really nice gentle decline. So I'm not having this crazy high, like, like sugar high, and yeah. then this crazy like sugar low where it's like, I need more, I need more. It's like this real yeah. nice sustained release, which is really, really great. But, you know, I'm really curious to also test it based on different times in my cycle, like, mm -hmm. you know, follicular versus luteal. I'm like yeah. during ovulation right now. So curious to see how that might impact anything. Yeah. So it's just been really fascinating. And then also like I love baking. So <laughs> I, um, I mean, I do a lot of sugar-free baking, right. I'm really conscious of mm -hmm. obviously the sugar and all of that. So I made like a peach galette and kind of almost looks like a peach pie sort of. And you know, my insulin, like it spiked, but not by a significant amount. And that right. was really great to see, like even just yeah. having this peach galette that had a little bit more sugar and had a, you know, had a like more fruit, my insulin, of course, it, or my glucose went up, but it wasn't anything that was an unhealthy range and an, an unhealthy jump. So yeah, it's nice. really interesting to see that, but I should probably test, like I'm eating the way I normally eat, but I should probably mm -hmm. test it with things that maybe I don't normally eat. Like, I'm just curious um, to see how my body totally. would respond to like a bit of ice cream or eating just like a store-bought cookie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm curious to see. Yeah. yeah I, it'd be I, interesting to compare that spike as well to your own baking. Like, yes. Uh, and yeah, look at that data. And it's like, this is what happens with, you know, vegetable oil filled high sugar one from the supermarket. And here's totally. my recipe. And here's the response to that. Yes. Oh, I definitely need to test it. And like, I'm even just with different types of sugar with like fruit specifically or cane sugar versus mm -hmm. monk fruit or stevia, like, yeah. Are they having any sort of impact? Yeah. So yeah, there's, you know, honey or maple syrup, like, yeah, just really playing around and testing it, but it's really fascinating. Have you done it yourself? Not like that. I've done it the old school way though. With like finger pricking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that is the old school way. Yeah. But it's, it's <laughs> yeah. super fascinating. Far less pleasant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But still very insightful for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you know, all of this, obviously we were mentioning earlier, like leads to inflammation, right? Mm -hmm. um, and inflammation is such a driving factor behind so many different diseases. And what are some suggestions that you have? Maybe actually we can talk about first, what is inflammation? Like, what does that really mean? And then mm -hmm. what are some things that we can do to really manage and reduce that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I guess fundamentally inflammation is an indication from the body to the immune system that something is wrong. And so it's a, it's a communication signal that just says, Hey, we've got something going on over here. Can you come and help us out? And the interesting thing is that normally when that happens, like if we get say a cut on our arm, the you know inflammatory signals go out and then obviously we see that cut heal for most people that are healthy that cut heal and you know all of the the things that need to go to that site that the clotting cascade will happen and assuming that you're healthy it will happen relatively quickly and then the inflammation signal goes away because it's done its job however when we've got excess body fat or we've developed or we've got an old injury that's we've not spent time fixing or healing or we yeah we're just have developed a disease from, you know, eating a particular way for a long time or living a particular way. Right. We're in this situation where essentially inflammation signals kind of leak out just constantly. And if you think about it, like a pipe, like a sewage pipe behind the wall that you can't see, it's just kind of dripping and right. you can't see it. You don't know it's really there, but eventually you're going to find out in a really bad way. Right. For and, sure. And it's the same with body fat. And the, the, the challenge with body fat is body fat, excess amounts of body fat, leak this kind of low grade inflammation signal. And so, but what happens is if we think about the cut on our arm, when the inflammation leaks out or is sent out in that instance, all of the white blood cells and everybody responds and comes to the site and does the job because there's something to fix. However, with body fat, when the inflammation goes out, everybody goes to the site Mm. and they're like, this is a cell full of fat, right? We can't just disintegrate it. We can't just fix it, right? And so the immune system essentially ends up in this state of confusion, which is it continually responds and and will then like evolve into autoimmune diseases because the immune system is constantly responding to this inflammation. Which So it's doing its job. It's just the thing that it's trying to fix is a fat cell and it's not designed to fix fat cells or burn fat cells away or remove them out of the body. And, And this ends up, yeah, our immune system is always wired. So when we do have actual issues in the body, our immune system is like, oh, we've been responding to stuff for ages. It's like, it's probably a false alarm like everything else. And a lot of things go missed and under the radar. And then we end up in the doctor's office with a horrifying diagnosis totally. or, you know, whatever it might be. So inflammation, yeah, fundamentally, it's a signal to, for the immune system to activate um, and do its job. However, in a lot of the situations that we see in civilized countries and very much second and third world countries, since the food is so cheap to send to them as well. um, Yeah. Is that this inflammation leads to disease has been there the whole time, letting your body know what it needs to do. But we obviously all don't know how to interpret that, how to respond to that. And the information that we're getting from, you know, you often go to the doctor and if you're not sick or diseased yet, they just say, all good. Yeah. Um, and so if you trust it's doctor, all in your head. Yeah. 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 Totally, all that. Yeah. <laughs> if you feel weird, it, oh, it's, you know, it's in your head. Like, so that's yeah. not really empowering either. And a lot of people do the right thing. They're, they're like, oh, I went to the doctor and I asked him and he said right. this and they're dismissed for 10 years until it's actually on a chart where it says, oh, you have cancer or you yeah. are diabetic so diabetic. Or, it's crazy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, I think understanding that, and and that's why I kind of always come back to that excess body fat, because I think when I was trying to figure out which piece do I want to work with as a nutritionist, I was like, everything, almost everything 
for most people comes back to not eating right. And whether that be your gut issues, whether that be your brain fog, whether that be the way you respond to stress, like the thing that we do every single day is fuel the system. Um, and mm-hmm. we can, we don't have to go on, you know, 28 day fasts in order to lose the body fat. And I think food is so, so important to creating a healthy body over time. And these low grade inflammation things that happen in our body and disease states that develop, I think food is a really big part of that solution for most people if they're willing to go there. For sure. So when you say food, what does, what's the optimal diet look like really for you? The optimal diet. So I'm just going to give a really unsatisfying answer, which is (laughs) everybody is different. And so, yeah, I I was waiting for Totally. I mean, I've got a general template, but yeah, I think everybody is different. And the first question I would ask anybody is, are you an emotional eater or are you a sugar addict? Mm. Because that answer will determine which template we use. And do you have excess body fat that you want to get rid of as opposed to, you know, I'm lean, but I want to be healthier. You know, like I often get people knocking on my door that want to go zero to five or they want to go five to 10. And it's like, you know, the the optimizers and the beginners right? and things are like, it's different for those types of people. But in a nutshell, the number one takeaway piece of advice for anyone that wants to fix anything with their body is jerf, just eat real food. (laughs) Like, yeah, like that's where it's at. (laughs) Then we can go the next layer deeper and be like, how does that food affect my hormones? And so generally speaking, I think most people will benefit from starting the day on a low carb or a keto meal. I don't necessarily encourage keto long-term permanently or all day. But I think in the morning when we're busy and we're just eating our cereal, where our bodies are eating, used to eating cereal or oats or these things, we want to detach that, the roller coaster for the day. So it's not necessarily that, again, that carbs are bad. It's that we want to stop that morning tea I need to eat, lunch I need to eat, afternoon tea I need to eat, dinner right. I need to eat, supper, you know, all those, you know, there's so many things. And a lot totally. of that is set off buy that initial refined sugar, refined carbohydrate, maybe high dairy meal, which obviously contains sugars as well. So I think starting the day on a low carb meal and and the carbs that are included, I always say low carb, definitely not no carb. So I think in my world, I like to think of low carb as including above ground vegetables. Mm -hmm. So I always think of it as above and below ground. So below ground vegetables, later in the day. So for dinner, I think is better. And then of course, it depends on your workout routine. Totally. Um, if you're already slim and you're wanting to just do more cardio, then we want some carbs in the system, yeah. you know, but if you want to burn weight and you're doing resistance training, then moving towards maybe a fasted workout and then getting the protein in, in the hour afterwards right. is a good idea too. Yeah. And Amongst all of this, we want to think of the diversity of your microbiome. So we want different foods. We want at least 40 foods a week, different foods a week to create that diversity, probiotic foods. 40. I know people are like, what? I know you can get like 10 (laughs) in in one salad. It's so true. It's so true. The amount of limitations people have on their diet is so wild. And I always say, if I were to follow you around for seven days, I guarantee you're eating the same, like five to six things over and over and over again. I remember in my nutrition degree, I learned that on average, there's about 26,000 edible plants. And on average, Western society eats only 300 of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) 26,000. Yeah. That is wild. So yeah, so I guess the general answer to your question, as unsatisfying and vague as it might be, (laughs) is 
eat real food. I think a low carb breakfast would help most people not set off that emotional cycle of sugar binging and responding to their crashes and their highs that you were kind of referring to before. Yeah, like carbohydrates are super important for all sorts of micronutrient reasons. Um, So a diversity of those in the evening and protein should be the feature of all meals. Um, Totally. Yeah, like most people are not eating enough protein. And when we get enough protein in, um, we feel satiated. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so you mentioned you always ask people if they're an emotional eater or sugar Sugar, yeah, sugar, sugar addiction, addict, yeah. basically. Do you often find they go hand in hand? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of say. a trick question. Yeah. However, what it does, there's two different pathways. So if you're an emotional eater, we work on the relationship with food. If you're an addict, it has to be a hardcore cut mm-hmm. and it needs to be a supportive like environment and you need to work with the right person to be able to do that. Because if you are an actual addict, yeah. like you can't emotionally slowly work your way out of it. And that's not just emotional. Like there's a physiological addiction as well. Yes. And it's the same with illicit drugs, right? Is that your cells are literally addicted to this and they have programs. And, and I mean, we've both been a part of the quit sugar summit. Yes. Um, so full of addiction experts. So, so I think it's not necessarily the food template that follows that it's the strategy for becoming a healthier person that changes between those two personalities. Totally. Absolutely. I worked with somebody it was the the wildest sugar addiction client I've ever worked with. And mm-hmm. they would literally set alarms to wake up in the middle of the night so they could drink their Coke. Whoa. Yeah. That was uh, how bad it was. Whoa. Yeah. It yeah. was intense. And, you know, it came to a point where it was like, okay, sure, I can give you these strategies and these tips and whatnot, but this mm-hmm. is so much deeper that mm-hmm. you need to dive into like- yeah some real counseling and therapy support, because this is not actually about the food and your, your addiction to this. It is Mm -hmm. so much deeper and psychological and, you know, and yeah, they really needed support in that regard, but yeah, it's pretty crazy. And when we say sugar addiction, I think, and I can be totally making an assumption, but I feel like some people who are listening to this might be like, oh yeah, you know, overeating sugar, like overeating treats, having too much dessert. Mm -hmm. Sure. But there's really like the deep, intense sugar addiction where, yeah, you are setting your alarm and waking up to drink your Coke at 3am. Yeah. Yeah. And well, yeah. it's, it's even normal now for most people to leave their house with snacks yes. because like, you know, put snacks in your handbag. Yes. Like with, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to be gone on, on a drive for two hours. I've got to take food totally. kind of thing. And yep. whether, and that can be the physiological addiction or that can be the emotional addiction of not being okay, not being okay in a car by yourself for a while. You know, totally. like that could be loneliness, could be just masking thoughts about the world, whatever it is. Like there's so many layers there. And I think this all kind of runs into like fad diet culture and, and why it doesn't work totally. uh, because because no, nobody works on the mindset and the psychological piece, which is fundamentally what you need. Like, you know, willpower runs out. Self-respect, when you nail it, it doesn't. Totally. Oh my God. I love that you said that. Yeah. That's really, really powerful. Okay. So you obviously work with weight loss a lot. And Mm -hmm. I know that intermittent fasting is something that you love to incorporate. Let's Mm -hmm. dive deeper into that. And what you have found with intermittent fasting and some strategies around maybe starting with it, or maybe Mm -hmm. some really key pieces to keep in mind. Yeah. Let's dive into that. Awesome. So yeah, I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. And the reason is because 
I, I really learned about it sort of from a cancer perspective because it was the first six months in, my, in that career that I really started asking some difficult questions of my professors who thought that it was cute that I was asking these ridiculous nutrition <laughs> questions. So, but I found fasting really early on and, and found all of these people in like Bali and Mexico that had been on these fasting retreats and healed their cancer. And I was like, this is crazy. Cause back then it's like 10 years ago, I was like, we're going to eat six meals a day. What do you mean? Totally. What do you mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. how do you live more than two days without food? Right. Um, so I was like, Oh, I, I'm going to give this a go. And I, I've always been very fortunate with my weight and my athleticism and stuff like that. And so I didn't have any weight to lose. So I was like really cautious. I was like, Oh, do I even have fat stores? Like what's going to happen? Right. Um, and so I just started exercising the fasting muscle and this is an intermittent fasting. This becomes water fasting, but this is what built my belief about the process. And so I just started doing, I did a whole day and I was like, not dead yet. This is interesting. Um, <laughs> you can do it. I did two days and three and five and 10. Like, wow. And, yeah. And so first sort of disclaimer is nobody should ever dive in the deep end with water fasting ever. Like when I do one, I usually, you know, let everybody know on Instagram and say, hit me up with some questions. But I always say, do not do this off the bat. Like I'm very well trained. My body and my genetics are very well trained in doing this. So For sure. anybody listening, don't, don't do it. Do it. <laughs> Let's say that again. Do it, like don't people, do it. <laughs> no, yeah, totally. And when like people reply and they're like, all right, Maddie, you're doing a three-day water fast. I want to do one. Let's do it. Uh, and I say, okay, well, we need to work together for a year because if you've never done it, we need to build up. And especially women, like we need to pick a strategic time in the cycle to totally. do that type of thing. But anyway, scaling it back to intermittent fasting is that, you know, with this whole eat six times a day and a recent study that I read from the US showed that the average food consumption throughout a day was between six and 11 times a day. And oh God. that's crazy. That is so crazy. then we- yeah. And then we, then you realize that people are eating all day. So their guts are switched on and operating for about 16 to 18 hours a day. They're, mm -hmm. they're working. And then you realize their insulin, their hormones are going all over the place for that entire time. And then you start realizing that, oh, no wonder I can't concentrate. No wonder I've got brain fog. No wonder I'm constantly inflamed because I'm putting inflammatory foods into my gut, which switches on my immune system, totally. which then you know causes diarrhea or bloating or whatever. If I'm doing that for 18 hours a day, no wonder I felt like a zombie for 10 years, you know? And so this is where I started being like, oh, no wonder we get to 50, 60, 70 and get a cancer diagnosis when we've asked our gastrointestinal system to work 24 hours a day forever, totally. right? Yeah. But that's when I was like, so I didn't really come at it from a weight loss perspective. I just was like, our bodies need a rest. Totally. They just need a day off. Yeah. They, like, you know, our gut is where, you know, depending on who you are, 70 to 90% of your immune system hangs out because that's the main line of absorption between the outside world and the inside world. And so if we're not giving that world a day off to replenish itself, recover itself and get out of these cycles that we're, we're in that are attached then, of course, to hormones, belief systems and behaviors. And yeah. then we're, we're, of course, we're all setting ourselves up for disease. Even the super healthy people that might eat great food, if they're still eating 11 times a day, that's not helpful. You know, it's, it might be marginally better than someone who's eating, totally. you know, Terrible food um, right. 11 times a day. But, but yeah, so I realized that we needed a rest, essentially. So I started looking into it and practicing it myself, started using it with clients. But the thing that I've learned about human biology, you know, from research, from just studying humans, is that the fad diet culture 
psychologically and in coupling that with Western medical pill for an ill. So those two worlds, when you combine them together, create this idea that the human biology is like a light switch and you can just flick the switch and now I'm a healthy person and you can just take a pill and it's just gone. And so we see ourselves as like a car and the doctor or the dietitian is a mechanic and we just go in and swap the part out and it's all good. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. And we mm-hmm. all know that because we've all done diets and ended up back at square one or even worse. Totally. And so the kind of thing that I use is one tweak a week. And it's the same with intermittent fasting. It's like we find out where you're at right now and we move the needle 30 to 60 minutes. And then, then we let the body get used to that. Um, right. We don't do an extreme change because you'll, yeah, you'll lose a bunch of weight. You'll feel good for about two weeks and then you'll plateau and then, you, you know, we'll be back to square one really soon. So it's all about moving that needle really slowly. Totally. The intermittent fasting schedule for most people is different. Women are a lot more sensitive to it, um, especially in the second half of their cycle totally. compared to men. So they should often go in a lot easier depending on their hormonal history and their medical history and dietary history and all the diets that they've been on. Of course. So we don't want to trigger old stuff. So yeah, it's all about progressing into that space. And yeah, it's definitely beneficial for weight loss. That's a nice side effect. But if we look at it as a tool to enhance your life and daily experience, I think that's a better way to frame it because I've worked with a lot of people that, you know, just wanted to get rid of brain fog or just wanted to improve their gut health. And we didn't even really change that much apart from giving the body some space each day. That's so brilliant. I love that. I have not done a water fast myself. Although I guess when I think about it, the most I've fasted is maybe close to 20 hours. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess technically it was a water fast because I did only drink water. Although that's maybe a lie (laughs) because I probably did have some black coffee or something, but yeah, I think that's the most, the most that I've done. And I always do recommend, you know, start with just like a 12 hour overnight fast and then maybe move it to 13 and then move it to 14. And like, and then 50, and then you can get to that maybe 16, eight window if you want to do intermittent fast, but like, don't do it overnight. Like you said, yes. and you know, just be really slow with it. This isn't a rush. This isn't a race. Um, and you have to let your body adapt, you know, adapt over time to it. Okay. Well, that's so fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing some tips about intermittent fasting and that our listeners should not be diving into water fasting without (laughs) one week a week. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so when you did your water fast, you said you started with like a day and you survived it. Were you just like, I'm just going to keep going? No. no. Okay. Um, You like did it at different times. Like that 10 day one was like, a specific plan and like commitment yes. to that. Okay. Got it. And I say the same thing with my clients. So a lot of my clients find that when we start this journey, because in the beginning, a lot of what we do is reprogramming both our behavior and our emotions, but also the microbiome. So people often get into a situation where maybe their body's more readily accessing body fat. And they're like, I got to the next meal and I just wasn't hungry. And mm. whilst eating intuitively is important, If in the beginning of change, we don't set up some degree of consistency and predictability, then we're just delaying the inevitable where we fall off the bandwagon, we respond to hunger. So it's the same with intermittent fasting or water fasting. If you go 24 hours and you've never done beyond that, yeah. Like make sure that you're comfortable doing 24 hours, do it a couple of times and then be like, okay, so now when I go 36, I'm not sitting on a foundation of 36 uncertain hours. I'm sitting on a foundation of 12 because I, you know, understand Got the it. first 24 and, and then a month later, I, I usually say a month between and then a month later, try 40 hours and yeah. a month later, try 48. 
you know, and, and for women, it's different. I've worked with women that find water fasting easiest during their bleed week, other women, different parts of their cycle. So sure. definitely start with just getting the food right, getting the timing right for every day before you even consider that. Because if you're in this situation where you're listening to this podcast because you want change, it's because there's been an absence of nurture for a very long time. So to dive into some kind of change with continued absence of being nurtured and cared for, you're going to repeat the past. So we need to go slow and we need to move caringly and supportively. I love that. Well, that is like the perfect place to end this caring and supportive and nurturing. I love that so much. That was super insightful. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today, Maddie. Where can our listeners connect with you and find you and learn more about what you do? Yeah, sure. So firstly, thanks for having me on. I love these conversations. We're obviously both super passionate. Yeah, my pleasure. But for everybody listening, yeah. So I have a Facebook group that's called the Busy Mums Collective. So that's mums wanting to reclaim their health, energy levels and self-confidence. So you can jump into that. Uh, Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram and my podcast, which you, Sam, have been on, which is called How to Not Get Sick and Die, which is on all of the podcast apps which is such a good podcast name. (laughs) So straight to the point. I love it. Amazing. Well, we will link all of this up in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much, Sam. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, ladies, for tuning into our episode today. I truly hope you enjoyed that. If you want to connect with Maddie, you can head on over to his website. That's maddielansdown.com. And also head on over to our show notes. The link for that is holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 167. And there is a link there in the show notes where you can grab his free book, his free ebook on food and self-confidence if you would like to download that. FYI, sometimes our show notes are a little bit delayed getting up on the website. And also, speaking of website, we have a brand new one releasing shortly, and I'm so excited because it's so beautiful. So I appreciate your patience with the show notes getting up there, but it will be up there probably within the week of this episode, so do check that out. And again, thanks so much for being with me today. If you haven't left us a rating and a review, you can do so on any podcast platform that you listen to us on. It always helps us reach more women globally and support them with their health and their hormones. Have an amazing day and I'll chat with you all next week. Take care. Oh.